again, good morning. Again, as I mentioned, today or tomorrow is Memorial Day, but this is Memorial Day weekend, and we think of Memorial Day, of course, all the time with family and, you know, hot dogs and hamburgers and, and uh, you know, just a fun time. But tomorrow is a special day in that we take the time to, to stop and to think and to thank and to pray for those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice uh, for our country and the families and friends they left behind and what they have to go through. Even today, as we are hopefully putting another war behind us, um, many of us, no doubt, have been impacted by people they've lost. I know we've been in the Philippines, but a couple of weeks when, uh, due to an accident, my flight commander was killed in an aircraft accident. And um, the impact of that, not only to the, to the squadron, to the family, but to the wives. Um, Donna was brand new, and uh, meaning we had just gotten married. Um, and, uh, <laughs> but she was new to military life. And so she didn't know what the big fireball at the base meant. But I'll tell you what, the rest of the wives knew. Um, and um, I got home, and Donna was like, what happened? And I told her in that reality of what it means to serve um, came to light. Um, didn't want to do that. That's the problem. I've learned to come in touch with my emotions, and that's uncomfortable. <laughs> Um, I want to read a poem written by uh, Lewis Millet um, called An Old Soldier's Prayer. I have fought when others feared to serve. I have gone where others failed to go. I have lost friends in war and strife who valued duty more than life. I've seen challenged men become even bolder. I've seen duty honor, sacrifice of the soldier. Now I understand the meaning of our lives, the loss of comrades not so very long ago. So to you who have answered duty's siren call, may may God bless you, my son. May God bless you all. So I just ask tomorrow that you take some time to stop what you're doing and think and thank those that served. Um, And if you know those, Families that were behind, let them know that you care. It matters. Um, Again, it's a very special weekend. Veterans Day is a neat weekend as well, but this is a very special one. Um, The freedom that we enjoy is because people were willing to give their life uh, to protect it. All right. So... We're in a study of Galatians, and uh, the whole kind of theme through Galatians is that Paul is wanting the people to understand the truth. Now, truth is an interesting thing, because we've talked about this a few times before. Truth is an absolute concept. One person can't have one truth about something and someone have a different truth about the same thing. That's not what truth is. If there's more than one option, that's an opinion, like is vanilla better than chocolate, right? That's an opinion. 
On the other hand, is the only path to the Father through Jesus Christ. That's truth. And again, we don't say truthful, because truthful means I'm just comparing it against truth. And so it's really important, Paul, to say, no, no, you need to focus on truth, the truth of Scripture. And, you know, he's with the Galatians, and, and the Galatians are you know, struggling with these Judaizers, and it's, and it's just a really uh, interesting time. Um, and last week we looked, about, uh, looked at verses 1 to 7, and we saw how faith through Jesus Christ comes, we become adopted sons and daughters of God the Father. That's big. Right? And when you think of adopted sons and daughters, that means that you're entitled to a full share of the inheritance. Right? We have two, we adopted two of our granddaughters, they're legally our daughters, and they're entitled to the same amount as our naturally born kids. Right? So by being the adopted sons and daughters of God the Father, we have the same inheritance, Jesus Christ, to live eternally with the Father. I mean, that's huge. Now, remember the Jews, right, they had the promise from Abraham, and then Moses showed up with the law. And they lived under the law for some 1,300 plus years before Jesus showed up. And even though the Jews knew of the promise, they didn't enjoy it. They had to suffer slavery under the law. They had to follow all these rules. And we know the law was there just to show you you can't follow all the rules. right? No one could follow all the rules. They never experienced the inheritance that we enjoy. In fact, we read that they gave in to the elemental things of the world. And we looked at last week that the elemental things in the case of the Jews was the fact that they got all wrapped up in the laws, right? They were good at tithing every possible thing, but they missed the point that they're supposed to be treating people with love and respect and the way that, that God treats his people. They got caught up in, in all these things that aren't important, uh, and they missed the big picture, now, we heard that, that in the word that, that Satan had twisted what God created for good for bad. And we remember Jesus challenged the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees against all these rules that they had put in place. And I forget, there's like 600 some odd rules. You know, I remember I read a story where a pastor said, yeah, there's 730 sins that you have to be careful for. He got 200 requests for the list. Um, <laughs> so... You're missing the point, right? If you're worried about the list, you're missing the point. All right. So my first point today is that bondage is bondage. doesn't matter what kind of bondage you're under. Bondage is bondage. Now, bondage can take lots of forms. We saw with the Jews that bondage took the place of ceremonial laws and and following, um, you know, Sabbath day rules and, and all the required festivals and all these sorts of things that they had to do. And the life of a Christian is about living in freedom with the truth. It's not about following all those rules, right? It's not about the things you can do, right? Life with Jesus Christ is about accepting the grace, the free gift, 
that gets us salvation in Jesus Christ. And Paul is trying to explain that to them, that they have to understand the truth of salvation. And it's not about all these rules that the Judaizers are trying to force on these Galatians. Now, it's interesting because when we talk about bondage, bondage applies to both Jews and Gentiles. They each had their own kind. And we looked at, again, what the Jews were dealing with in their form of bondage, but realized that the Gentiles struggled as well. And verse um, 8 and 9 actually can apply to both. So 8 and 9, it says, um, However, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. But now you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. How is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? Now, Again, last week we talked a lot about the Jews. This week I want to take the other side of it and take a look at the Gentiles. Because the Gentiles lived in their own form of bondage as well. They worshipped the elemental things of the world. right? They water and fire and earth and air and suns and moons. They had all sorts of gods. right? We know that the Romans and Greeks had gods for everything. Right, and, and these gods were things that if you didn't worship them, you weren't going to get a good crop or you wouldn't be fertile or you wouldn't whatever. And all these requirements that they had to do. And the pagan cultures around the Jewish community and in the places like Galatia, up in the Greek islands, all those places had all these different gods. So there's Shemosh, who was the god of the Amorites, Baal, who worshipped with the was worshipped by the Arameans, the Canaanites had Asherah, where you read about Asherah poles, and the list goes on and on and on. And we knew that the Jews had stumbled into that. Right? Well, one of the biggest things was not to intermarry, so you wouldn't stumble in all of this stuff. Well, the Gentiles, they were, that was their thing. Right? And so Paul had come to them and, and shared with them the truth, and yet they're still there struggling with all this pagan environment around them. And we remember when we were reading through um, Corinthians how people were trying to live in both worlds. You know, he had to get into the whole thing. Hey, you can't eat food sacrificed to idols. You can't. All this stuff was going on because it was impacting them on how that they were relating to the truth. They were trying to mix the two. So Paul is basically saying, hey, I understand. When you were ignorant of the real God, you believed in other gods. There are no other gods. There's only one God, the God of the Scriptures. And now that you know the real God, why is it that you want to go back to your old ways? You have real, the real God. You have the experience of the real God, and yet you want to go back into these things that you're doing. You know, your, sons, your sonship, is daughtership a word? Anyway, the sonship um, with God is that, that knowing, that knowledge of knowing God and Him knowing you. And that intimacy of personal communion, which they didn't have in the pagan gods. There was no personal relationship. It was purely a serve them or else. It's interesting when you look at, for instance, Hinduism. Hinduism has thousands and thousands of gods. And it's not about which god, it's how well you worship. Just a totally different mindset than Christianity. Christianity is just an absolutely different religion than all these other pagan religions in the world. So Paul is wondering, why do you want to go back to slavery when you already have so much? 
Um, so Galatians 4, verses 10 and 11 says, You observe days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you because I believe I have labored over you in vain. So I believe verse 10 has two meanings, one for Jewish Christians and one for Gentile Christians. First, the Gentiles. We know that many of you have a mixed life, and we saw that again in Corinthians. They were Christian in private life, but they were pagan in public life. They didn't want to expose that they had been converted, right? And we heard it. There was, there was consequence, right? If they didn't think you were still with the pagan gods, you would be shunned. You would be out of financial situations. There was a lot to do. And they were more concerned about that than living in the truth. And that goes on today. Donna and I lived in the Philippines for, I don't know, six years, seven years, something like that. Um, and we would see people that claimed to be Christians, but if they needed healing, they would go to the local witch doctor. Because they believed that the witch doctor had the power to, to make them healthy. Those don't mix. And we see that today in religions like Santeria and Voodooism that has this mixture of darkness and light. You know, they're, they're, they're offshoots from various forms of Catholicism, but they've added this dark side to it. And you can't live with one foot in the boat and one foot in the dock unless you like getting wet. I mean, the reality of it is you've got to be one or the other. You can't live a mixed life. Now, to the Jews, he's saying that your religion has degenerated into this external formalism. You've lost the truth. You're no longer in free and joyful communion with the Father. You're now bound up in all these rules and laws. It's this dreary routine of do this on Sunday, don't, or Saturday for them, or don't do this on Saturday. The, um, you know, all the festivals, all the stuff they had to do is this sort of routine. Uh, I've got, it's like when the alarm goes off on Monday. Uh, gotta go to work, you know? Same sort of, oh, Sabbath. Got to make sure I got everything done before the sun sets on Friday because I have to go from sunset to sunset and not do anything. Um, and then this routine of rules and regulations is driven by the Judaizers against the Galatians. Um, and it's affecting the whole group of Jewish Christians, right? Because there's conflict now between Jewish Christians that still hold on to the truth and those that don't. As we see today, right, there's a struggle with people who know the Lord and those who don't or claim to and don't. Now we think of the prodigal son, right? The prodigal son takes off on his own way. He repents, returns to his father and say, I am not worthy to be your son. Treat me as one of your slaves. But the father says, no, I will take you back as my son. Well, the Galatians are saying the opposite. I'm going to let go of the father and go back to slavery. Who would do that? How would someone reverse that process and give up this newfound sonship with God to go back to slavery, whether it's under pagan culture or Jewish law? Why would you do that? What the Christian life is not is bondage to a law. Our salvation does not hang on a balance of good and bad works. I remember growing up, I used to think, well, if I'm more good than bad, I'll be in good shape. Well, the problem with that, you don't get to see the meter. So you don't know if you're ahead or not. Well, fortunately, that's not what it's about, right? Our salvation is about the finished works of Christ, 
his sin-bearing, curse-bearing death on the cross, which gives us that opportunity, that free grace of salvation, so we can know the Father and become the adopted sons and daughters. And again, we see it today. Well, if I attend church on a regular basis, make sure I give my 10%, read the Bible every day, I'm earning points, right? If I work my way up, I can be in the front row, you know? <laughs> That's not what it's about. You know, I love that verse where they talk about how the saints cast their crowns before God, right? What you've earned is not worth anything compared to the fact that you're with God. All these treasures you think you're storing up are meaningless compared to the relationship with God. I, 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 I say, I, it's got to be the most amazing thing when you show up. You know, it's like, oh, you know, I think you're just going to fall flat on your face. I think the glory is going to be so amazing, you're just going to fall flat on your face. Um, but what an opportunity to spend the rest of your life, which doesn't end, with the eternal Father. And yet these people want to go, no, I think I'll go back to slavery, thanks. All right, verse 12. I beg of you, brethren, become as I am, for I have also became as you are. Now, it's interesting here what we see, because Paul kind of is a head guy, right? I mean, he, he's a lot of logic, and I can relate to that. I like logic. I'm pretty binary. Pretty much everything's white, black. I like that. Um, but no, Paul's starting to get personal. He's emotional, right? He tells them that he begged for them, and we'll see later on in verse 19 where he talks about as if he was their mother. Right, So Paul, is got his heart is coming out of this. So he begs the Galatians, he calls them brethren. Now, it's interesting, the, the original Greek, if translated straight, only has one verb in it. And it basically means, become as I, for I as you. Well, what does that mean? So Paul longed to be as a Galatian to reach the Galatians. So he wants people to be like him and enjoy the Christian life, right? He wants people to reject the false teaching of the Judaizers and accept the truth of Scripture, the truth of Jesus Christ. And he wants to share his convictions with anyone who will hear it. And therefore to enjoy the liberty that he has in salvation through Jesus Christ. We read in Acts 26, verses 28 and 9, Paul's talking to Agrippa. Agrippa replied to Paul, In a short time you will persuade me to become a Christian? And Paul said, I would wish to God that whether in a short or long time, not only you, but also all who hear me this day, might become such as I am, except for the chains. So Paul wants Agrippa and Bernice to experience the same thing that he's experiencing. He wants, to hear, he wants them to hear the message and accept it, just as he wants everyone to hear the message and accept it. And then he wants them to experience the freedom that he's experiencing. Now, it's interesting, because if you know the whole story is this whole process, right? Paul is going through this whole process. The Jews are trying to kill him. He's trying to you know, get to Rome and all this sort of stuff. And he's in chains. And he's saying to people, hey, I want, to, I want you to be like me. Well, obviously, he's not meaning chains, but he means he's free. Well, obviously, to the Jews, that had to be troubling. What does it mean you're free? You're in chains. Oh, yeah, but that's not where freedom's counted. That's not what it means to be free. 
And that is the message that we have as Christians when we, worship, when we witness to the world. I have such great joy and peace and freedom in the Lord. I want you to experience what I'm experiencing. I want you to feel what I feel and to experience what I experience. Now, the second part of the phrase means, I became like you. So Paul was a Jew, right? But he had to become like Gentiles to reach the Gentiles. He wanted to be all things to all people. We read in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 20 to 22, To the Jews I became as a Jew, so that I might win Jews, to those who are under the law. As under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, so that I might win the weak. And I became all things to all men, so that I may be all, by all means save some. Now this is a really important message, right, for us as believers as we go out and share the gospel. If you're seeking to, to win people for Christ, you have to go where they are. And I don't mean physically, but you have to go there experientially. I remember I, there was a guy that I used to teach at the U of A, and there was a guy that would stand on the mall with a Bible in his hand and scream and yell at people that they should repent. I'm like, you are not going to reach a lot of people with that methodology. It just doesn't work. People, ha- you, have to, people you have to get where they are. You know, the old saying, you have to get in the dirt. You have to be there with them. They have to know that you, they matter to you. Then they're going to be willing to listen to whatever you might happen to say. If you take this idea, hey, I've got it all figured out, let me tell you about it, it doesn't work. People are relational. And that's what Paul's saying. Now, I'm not saying that you have to behave like them. That's not what I'm saying. But you have to get to where they are. Right? All right, let's continue. Uh, verse, we'll start at the back end of 12. You have done me no wrong, but you know that it was because of bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. And that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Where then is the sense of blessing you had? For I bear you witness that, if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. So in verse 13, we know that Paul suffered some sort of condition when he was in Galatia. We really don't know what that condition was. There's, of course, a lot of opinions. That's the great thing about Scripture. There's no shortage of people's opinions. Um, and there, some of the thoughts about um, what happened to Paul is that possibly he picked up cholera. The southern part of Turkey is very swampy, and there was cholera was big in those days. That Maybe he got an illness like that. Um, Others believe that he had some sort of eye infection um, and that um, hence the reason why they were willing to pluck out their eyes, you know, to get because his eyes were all nasty. Uh, But we know that whatever it was, it was it was gross. Right. They had to put up with Paul when he's got whatever's going on is pretty nasty. And 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 the um, and we know that Paul struggled with some sort of reoccurring chronic health issue. Right, we read about thorns of the flesh, you know, something that was. Always, and we don't know the details of what it was, but 
But we know it was there, and he prayed for it to go away, but it didn't. Right? God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. You will make it through this. Just follow on. And so Paul had to carry that, but we don't know what it was. Uh, And it's interesting, as you read through this part in Galatians, in Acts, it doesn't talk about it. It doesn't talk about him struggling with an illness. Um, So we really don't know what the details are. But what we do know um, is that it was clearly unpleasant and had unsightly symptoms. And it was considered a trial for the Galatians to have to take care of Paul while he was preaching the message. Now, they didn't treat him with disgust or scorn, but instead treated him um, as an angel from God. Now, that sounds like a really interesting word for Paul to claim to be treated like an angel of God. Right? That's pretty big. But remember that Paul's came to know the Lord on the road to Damascus in a supernatural experience. And so he was individually addressed by Jesus and put on the mission to reach the Gentiles. So he is, in fact, speaking for Christ as he goes out among the Gentiles. And the Galatians are showing that due respect. They recognize his apostleship and the fact that he is, in fact, sent by God. So it has to be an interesting comparison, right? Because here's Paul, sent by God, suffering in this illness, right? You think, well, gosh, if God's on your side, why are you going through this? And we go through that a lot, right? How many times have you go, God, could you take this away? That would be really nice. No, you're going to stick with that one. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I promise I will read my Bible twice a day if you take this away. You know. <laughs> so, all right. So what happens next? We'll read in verses 15 through 17. Where, there, where is that sense of blessing you had? For I bear you witness that if possible, you have would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. So I have become your enemy by telling you the truth. They eagerly seek you, not commendably, but they wish to shut you out so that you will seek them. Now, Paul is wondering what happened. Right? The Galatians had been exceedingly gracious to Paul while he was there, suffering from some illness. But then the Judaizers show up and start telling this false um, gospel, and they now reject Paul. And Paul says these, these Judaizers, they're not interested in you having a relationship with God. They want you to have a relationship with them. They want you to put your trust and faith in them. Paul's accusing the Judaizers of flattering the Galatians, and the Galatians, through this flattery, are rejecting the truth. Their goal is to exclude the Galatians from the truth. Now, as pastors and teachers, it's our goal to help people mature in the life of Jesus Christ. Not that we have arrived. As Dan has said many times, we will disappoint you, we will fall short. We are on the same path you are. We are trying to grow in maturity with Christ just as you are. But the Judaizers have showed up and said, no, no, I got the answer. Come with me. I'll show you what you need to do. Very different message. Verse 18. But it is good always to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner. And not only when I am present with you, my children with whom 
I'm again in labor until Christ is formed in you. But I could wish to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I'm perplexed about you. Now, the mother metaphor here of verse 19 is really interesting. Um, Paul is telling the Galatians that this, if you were back in labor, um, to having delivered the Galatians from slavery the first time. Now, of course, I'm a guy. Never been in labor. Grateful for that. But I've watched women go through labor, several of them, and it looks particularly unpleasant. Um, (laughs) But the reward in the end is that that beautiful child that you get to hold and you deliver it. But I don't know too many women that would sign up for round two, do it again, to to deliver the same kid. Right? Yeah, no thanks. I did it once. I'm good. And yet that's what Paul's saying. He's basically saying, is this why I'm going through this whole process all over again to reach you? So he's anguished over this backsliding of the Galatians and the rejection of the truth, even though they know that the truth, through faith in Jesus Christ, will set them free. We read in John 8, 31 and 32, it says, So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. True freedom comes only through acceptance of the truth. Freedom from slavery and adoption by the Father as sons and daughters only come by the acceptance of the gift from God. No other process. No acts, no works, no, just one simple thing. Again, there's no system of works, Old Testament or new, that's going to get you grace from the Father. They're just opposites of each other. Grace and works you know, like oil and water. They don't mix. Grace is grace and works is works and only one gets you salvation. It doesn't matter whether it's baptism, communion, tithing, serving your neighbors. The list goes on and on. They don't earn your salvation. Not that they're wrong, but they're there because it shows how you relate and your obedience to Christ. Not because you're trying to earn something. And like Paul, we're required to share that truth, even if it may be unpleasant. And especially in this world today. I mean, it's interesting what people and, and the way they respond when you share the gospel with them. Um, I have people, I work with a lot of engineers and science type people, and they, uh, you know, they think that we're insane and illogical in life. No, actually, I think Christianity is the most reasonable, comprehensive, and cohesive belief out there when I look at some of the stuff other people believe. Um, I think we have more evidence of our truth than anything else out there. Now, Paul was required to go through incredible suffering uh, as he carried the message to the Gentiles. And most of us will not have to go through that type of suffering. But there are those in the world that do. Um, I looked at, we talked with um, um, Ginny, I forget her new last name, but Ginny Salloway and her husband, uh, about what it goes on in India. Uh, and I did never realize how persecuted the Christian church was in India. I mean, heavily persecuted. And of course, we see what happens in the Middle East, see what happens in other places like China, places like that. There are those that are suffering for the cross of Christ. And we need to lift those people up in prayer. And we also have to be bold enough to go out and share the truth, the truth of Jesus Christ with the people that we meet. 
So again, I encourage you to hold fast to the truth. Pray for those that share the truth in our community and around the world. Father, we are grateful for the truth. The process, Lord, uh, as simple as faith in you. And yet, we seem to be distracted and led away by all the elemental things of the world. We pray, Lord, that you would give us strength, open our hearts and minds to the truth, have a sensitivity that rejects those that uh, those things that do not uh, marry up with the truth. Again, thankful for all that you did and that all that you are doing now. In Jesus' name, amen.